Would you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Samuel chapter 21. So what do you do when you're in the midst of uh, great fears? When you are struggling with anxieties and worries um, that just dominate your life. You know, we find in counseling that uh, fear is this emotion of alarm uh, that happens within somebody's life um, when there's a perceived sense of danger or threat. Now, that perception of danger may be real or it may just be perceived, but the fact is is that the person believes that they're in danger or some type of threat, and they have fear. For some of us, we struggle with anxiety, and anxiety is this general state of uneasiness that seems to not go away. It just persists over and over again in our lives. For many of us, we struggle with worry. Worry is, is not an emotion. Uh, worry is actually a mindset. It's a mental action. It's, it's this conflict that goes over and over again in our minds. And we mull over the struggles. We mull over the difficulties. We contemplate the worst case scenario in our minds. Have you ever been there? Have you ever struggled with that? I find that when people struggle with fears, what happens is that they move from fear to trying to control situations and other people around. They feel that the fear is happening around them, so if I can control what is happening around me, then I can limit the fears that happen in my life. But the reality is this. You can't control those things. And the more you try to control, the more anger can come into your life and And some people go to the place of great levels of depression because they are so overwhelmed. They find themselves placing their hope and faith in the absolute wrong place horizontally in an earthly way. They go to extremes in their lives. Maybe you're like this. You ever go to this what if scenario? What if this and what if that? Some of us have this extreme need for approval. I desperately need you to be happy with me. Some of us go to this intense focus in their lives. They, they try to protect and they try to promote themselves and they, they put everything around them to try to protect themselves. Some of us try to self-medicate drugs, alcohol, or the like to try to calm the fears and the anxieties that happen. Some of us run. James talked about the double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. He finds himself putting himself in false security, false assurance in life. I don't know if that sounds like you. I believe that's David. This is an interesting passage we're going to read this morning and we're going to study. In 1 Samuel 21 I believe David is desperate. He's in this place of desperation. It depends on how you count it up, but Saul may have tried to kill him up to 10 times at this place. David has had to flee from Saul. David has had to flee from his own home and his wife. David has had to flee from his best friend, Jonathan. And now David has had to flee to Nob. David is on the run because he is 
desperately afraid. And it gets me wondering about us. What do we do when we're afraid? Where do we go? See, I think what happens when we get afraid, we get distracted from reality. And we are opening ourselves up to some level of deception that can happen in our lives. See, I think that what happens in chapter 21 and 22 is that David has forgotten God for a moment. He has forgotten who God is. He's forgotten who he is. He's forgotten whose he is. It's so very important that as you go through your fears and your anxieties and your stresses and your struggles in your life, you must remember who you are. But more importantly, you must remember whose you are. What, what I find is that as he goes through this desperate situation, he finds himself trusting in himself. He turns in himself for his own counsel. God is not even mentioned in chapter 21. David is on the run. He is trying to figure out what he's going to do. He just doesn't know where to go, where to hide. All the circumstances around him seem greater than the God that was with him. Do you hear that? All the circumstances around him seem bigger than the God that is with him. Hear this counsel as we speak, as we took a look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? Okay, so David is now on the run. He has just left Jonathan. He is in this desperate flight of fear. He knows that God has called him, but now he is really desperate. David's thinking has become, started to spiral. I think David's thinking started to spiral way back. Go back one chapter. Hold your finger there. Go back one chapter. Chapter 20, verse 3. Hear this. This is what David said. But David vowed again, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Do you hear it? David has lost focus of the promise of God. See, God had promised him years before that you're going to be my king. David's not king yet. David is now running in desperation because he's lost focus. He's seeing the fight that's coming at him. He's missing the God that is with him. And David spirals. He goes to Nob. Nob is this small town between Jerusalem and Gibeah. It's about two miles south northeast of Jerusalem. And it is in all likelihood that the tabernacle is there in Nob. There are 85 priests in that town, 86 priests in that town. Uh, Ahimelech is the great-grandson of Eli. So if you want to go back to um, chapter 2, you will see the, uh, the priest Eli, and he's the great-grandson of Eli. And um, Ahimelech comes to David, and he says, trembling, which is actually the mood of this chapter, fear. He's trembling, and he says, why are you alone? He's pointing out the vulnerability that David has. David, you're alone. Now, David is the, grand, is the son-in-law of the king. 
when he would come in, you would expect a, a guard that would be around him, a number of people that are around him. But David is running on his own. This doesn't make sense. Maybe Ahimelech knows that Saul has been on a rampage. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that Ahimelech is concerned. Now, David, there's a tension here, and David has to come to a place of how is he going to respond to the question, why are you alone? And I think David does the first of three things that show me that he's struggling with fear. He deceives the priest first. He says in verse 2 to Ahimelech, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let, none of, I'm sorry, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I had charged you. I made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. What in the world are you talking about, David? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you're telling me that the king has sent you on a secret mission and that's why you're here. Okay. David's probably deceiving. It's interesting watching the commentaries. I'm sure Doug, as he got a chance to read through these commentaries as well, some of the commentaries go and say that David is not lying here. David is using a technique that we would use in warfare that you would just not give the complete truth. I just don't see it. I think David's lying. I think David is, is scared and he's deceiving and he's coming up with this thing, this deception. He says that Saul has sent me on a secret mission. But then it gets really confusing because in verse 3, he says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me loaves of bread, five loaves of bread. David is on the secret mission from the king. You're coming by yourself and you have no food. You're the king's son-in-law after all. This doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But David is desperate and he's running in fear. And Ahimelech, the priest, says to David, I have no common bread. That's bread that could be eaten by anyone. The only bread that I have is the holy bread. The holy bread, um, in the holy place, there would be a, a table, and on that table, they would stack 12 loaves of bread, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And on every Sabbath, they would remove the bread that was there and put a new grouping of bread. And the bread that was taken off, that weak old bread, would be eaten by the priest. That's the only bread we have, Ahimelech says. Now, Ahimelech says... I'll, I'll give it to you if your men have been consecrated, sexually pure. That goes back to Exodus and Leviticus. And David answered, yes, my, uh, yes to the priest. Truly, women have been kept from us always when I go on expeditions. This, we're consecrated as we go on this mission. He says the vessels of the young men are holy, even as an ordinary journey. How much more today will this vessel be holy? So what did the priest do? The priest gave the bread to David. It's the bread of the presence, verse 6. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So David has now received bread. He came there because he was hungry. He needs bread. But there's another thing that David needs. Now this, once again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This warrior king, this warrior soon to be king, is coming without a weapon. He doesn't even have a weapon. And David says to Ahimelech in verse 8, Then have you here a spear or a sword? For I brought neither a, a sword or my weapon with me because the king's business was with required haste. 
I don't know how many military people we have in here, but I would assume that if you were in the military and you got called out for a mission, you would make sure that you would have your gear and your weapon with you. Right? (laughs) David is going on this mission. He has no bread. He has no gear. He has no weapon. It makes no sense, David, because David is spiraling in fear. Ahimelech looks, and he seems probably a little confused at this, and he says, I don't know. But he says, well, we have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, wrapped in a cloth. You remember the guy you struck down in the valley of Elah? We have the weapon that you took off of him and severed his head. And David says, there is none like it. It's exceptional. Give it to me. So David goes now, and he's thinking about protecting and promoting himself. First, he needs food, and then he needs a weapon. He thinks that now he is ready. But I skipped over verse 7. As he's having this conversation with Ahimelech, there is a guy over in the corner, and his name is Doeg. Doeg is a Enemite. We'll learn more about him at the end of chapter 22. But he is part of Saul's group. And David, the desperation that must be going through his mind right now, I've been running from Saul. I can't seem to get away from Saul. I've fled his home. I fled my home. I fled my friends. I fled to Nob. And then he's here. Doeg's here. He's afraid. Ominous irony here. Doeg is a shepherd. So is David. Doeg is going to be a murderer. David is a life preserver. Doeg is going to serve his master, the evil Saul. David is going to serve his master, the king, the Lord Jesus, the Father in heaven. From there, David flees to Gath. Now, if any of you know where Gath is or heard of Gath, Gath is the hometown of whom? Goliath. Now, does this make a whole lot of sense? Now, I think what David is thinking is this. I got to get away from Saul. I will go into enemy territory. I'll hide out there. Saul will never come into enemy territory. At least I'll be safe there. He goes in. He doesn't disguise himself. He flees there. Gath is about 25 miles southwest of Nob. Now he's on a run. But what's the problem? Here's the irony. As soon as he enters the town, what happens? The people of the town start to raise up and they say, is that not David, the king? Isn't he the one that slayed Goliath? Saul has struck down his thousands. David has struck down his ten thousands. David cannot get away. It's interesting that the Lord decided to allow his anointed one to be extolled among the Jews and now among the pagan Gentiles. (laughs) You can't get away, David. His notoriety has kept him from being able to hide. What's ironic to me is this. The David that got that praise was the David that stood courageously in front of that nine foot or more giant. It's the same David that is now cowering in fear deceiving a priest, and then he's going to do something amazing. He's going to act deranged before a king. 
David is going to get to a place and he hears the words, verse 12, in his heart, and he is what? Very much afraid. Have you ever been there? He's afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So what David did was he spiraled. I call it spiraling. He started to get really desperate and he starts to pretend that he's insane. He's like dribble and spit come down his beard. He starts hitting his head or scrawling on a door or the wall. He's acting like he's insane. Sometimes I don't act like I'm insane. Sometimes I act like I'm stupid at times when I'm in the midst of my own fears like you, right? Sometimes we do the craziest things when we're afraid. Well, that's what David is doing right now. It's interesting. It's a little humor. Um, Achish says in verse 14, behold, he says it three times. You see, I got a madman in front of me. Why have you brought to me this man? Do I lack madmen? Two, (laughs) but you brought him to me. Three, because he behaves like a madman in his presence. He's like mad, mad, mad. Mad, 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 mad world, right? (laughs) Achish has three rhetorical questions. He says, why do you bring this one to me? Don't bring him. Do I lack madmen? Don't. I don't lack madmen. I got a ton of them. It's kind of funny. My whole town is full of madmen. I don't need any more. And shall this one come to me? No, let this one go. And David has deceived a priest. He's acted deranged before a king. And now, chapter 22, he departs to a cave. David departs from there and escapes to the cave of Adullam. David is in fear. Where do you run in the midst of your fears? Where do you go? I don't know where it was in this journey, but somewhere in this journey, God was getting a hold of David's mind. He was reminding him once again. He was reminding him of who I am, David, and what I want to do for you. He brings people along. You see that in verse 1 here of 22. His brothers and his family come. You know what happens when you have a king that's going to take over and the king is on the throne. What you you want to try to do is to kill every rival. And you want to not just kill the rival, you want to kill their whole family. So David's family is in danger. They're running with him. They come to him and they find themselves in the cave. But what I find interesting, it wasn't just his brothers and his father's house. Who else was it? Verse 2, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt because of Saul's heavy taxation and everyone who was embittered or discontented in soul, they gathered to David. They were running to the shepherd who would nourish them. They were running to the commander that would guide them. God is reminding David that you have a higher purpose than the struggles that you're going through right now. And then what David does is he comes to his senses. He, he thinks about his family and he, he takes his family to the city of Moab. He has to cross over the Dead Sea and he has to go over to Moab and he wants to plant his family there for protection while he goes and tries to deal with Saul. Why Moab? Well, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that in David's lineage was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. So David says, I'm going to take my family over here and let them in Moab 
help and care for my family while I have to deal with Saul. David is now thinking away from himself. He's starting to think of others. He's, other people are coming to him. He is caring for them. He is caring for his family. And then verse 4, it says, And he left them with the king in Moab, and they stayed with him all the, day that, uh, all the time that David was in the stronghold. And then the prophet said to David, the prophet Gad, it's the first time we actually hear God's voice being spoken to. Here. The prophet says, do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. He says, leave the cave. Stop your spiral. Follow the word of the Lord. Go back to Judah. I love that. And what I love even more about this, look at the next line. So David departed. There was no thought. There was no delay. There was no doubting. I am going in the power of the Lord back to Judah. I'm not going to run anymore. For me, this story um, has a lot of points. I mean, I could spend hours on this. For me, there were several places where God, I believe, was speaking to David specifically, and David wasn't hearing him. If you look back with me at chapter 21, verse 1, I had told you that in Nob, what was probably there? The tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the place where God dwells with us. I believe that when David was running in his fear, God was saying that you're running to the tabernacle, I'm with you. When you're in the midst of your fears, God wants you to know that he's with you. He dwells with you. He's present with you. You are not alone. God lives with us. He abides with us. He lodges with us. The sovereign God of this world lives with his believers. He's speaking to David in the midst of the fear. I think he not only spoke to David in the fact that he went to the tabernacle, I think he spoke to David in the bread. You remember what it was called? The bread of the what? Presence. The bread of the presence. The only bread in this town is the show bread. The bread of the presence. And what it means is the bread before the face of God. You don't think it's ironic that the only bread in that town that could be offered is the bread before the face of God for you, David. You're running in desperation. You're running in your fears. I bring you to a tabernacle because I dwell with you. I give you bread to tell you that I am the one that ultimately nourishes you. I am present with, present with you. I give you access to me. You have entree into the king of kings and the Lord of lords, David. I don't think it stopped there because I think God was talking to him with the sword. David was looking for a weapon for protection, horizontal issues. He was missing, but the sword was of his greatest victory. And it was not even the sword that brought about the victory. What was it? Hold your finger there. Go back to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 45. See, David, you're looking for a sword to protect you. It's not the sword that protects you. 1745, and David said to the Philistines, you come at me with what? Swords. 
and with spears and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied, and this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. See, David, years before, didn't worry about a weapon. Yes, he had stones, and yes, he had accuracy, and yes, he was able to take down Goliath, but he knew that he wasn't doing it based on a weapon. He was doing it in the power of the Lord. And I think that God was talking to him in the tabernacle. I think God was talking to him in the bread. I think that God was talking to him with the sword. I think that God was talking to him in Gath when he went to Gath. You remember in Gath? These people are saying, David, you slew ten thousands. He's reminding him that you have a destiny, David. The tabernacle tells us that God dwells with us. The showbread tells us that God is our nourisher. The sword tells us that God is our victory and our protector. The people in Gath remind us that you have a destiny, you have a purpose, you have a calling. There's an intention of your life. Remember Pastor Tim was saying that Saul has not even been calling David by his name, the son of Jesse. But God is calling you, David, by your name. He knows you. He knows every single one of you. He knows you by name. And so that when you're even in a foreign land, I want you to know that you have a destiny. The last thing I think I see of God speaking is through this cave. David runs to a cave in Adullam. Interesting, I didn't tell you, but you know what Adullam means? Refuge. (laughs) So David is running to a cave in the city of refuge thinking that that's going to provide him refuge. And God says, I am your refuge. I am your fortress. I am your ever-present help in times of trouble. So I don't know where you go to in your desperation. I go to some crazy places. Maybe you have deceived others in your desperation. I probably, I know I have. And maybe some of you have acted in a deranged way in the midst of your desperation. I probably have. And I know I've departed and tried to run away in my desperation. And God speaks to you through that desperation words of comfort, words of counsel, words of hope. I really wish I didn't have to end the story here, but I have to tell you the consequences (laughs) of the choices that we make. David lied, deceived a priest. David acted deranged before a king. David departed into a cave. But you remember the guy I told you was there? Doeg. This is so solemn. Saul is sitting under a tree. He's brooding. He's paranoid. He's suspicious. He's hateful. He's obsessed with clinging to power. I don't want to lose my kingdom. Saul is skewing reality. He's got David attacking him when he's the one killing, trying to kill David ten times. He even tried to kill his own son twice. Saul is messed up in the mind. He is paranoid. He brings his people around. Then he starts to threaten them. And then Doeg comes. And Doeg feeds his insecurity. 
he feeds Saul's paranoia. He says that you know that priest, Ahimelech? You know what he's done? He's given aid and comfort to who? The enemy. And Saul gets up from his place and he goes to Nob to find Ahimelech. And he calls all those 86 priests together and he starts to prosecute Ahimelech. He accuses Ahimelech of the worst things. He's insanely jealous right now. He is so angry. He is paranoid. He is filled with anger and rage. God is not anywhere near his life right now. Ahimelech in verse 14 says, he tries to give the voice a reason. I I find this in counseling at times, that you know sometimes when people are spiraling, they're running away, they're acting maybe deranged or deceived. I try to give a voice of truth, and sometimes it just is not heard. It's not heard. I think Ahimelech is trying to give a voice of reason and sober truth, kind of like Jonathan did in chapter 19. He He says in verse 14, David is faithful to you. He says, he's your son-in-law. He has been the captain of your bodyguard. He has been honored in your house. He is trying to say, this is not the David I know. But Saul would have nothing of it. Saul, because of his fear, is trying to control everything. And now he looks and he sees the words coming from Ahimelech. And he believes Ahimelech is his enemy now. And says, verse 16, you're going to die. He calls his guards and he says, kill them. Kill them all. The guards, sometimes an order given by an authority is godless and we're not supposed to follow it. And the authorities, the guards knew that this order was godless. I am not striking down these priests. But then there's Doeg. Doeg, you strike down the priest. And Doeg, an Edomite, which we will learn in the histories, will be an arch enemy of Israel. Doeg kills 85 priests. He kills men, women, and children. He slaughters that town, which I find interesting. Um, if you go back, where Saul was supposed to have done this to the Amalekites, an evil group, decimate them. God had ordered him to go in and decimate that town. He did not do there, but he's doing here. What God was saying was rightful to do over here, he is doing what is absolutely unrightful. One person gets away, Abiatar. He runs and finds David. At the end of verse 22, it says, David hears this and he is weeping because he says, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your house. I'm responsible. David's not really responsible for the death. It's Saul and Doeg. But his deception set in order consequences. So I want you to think about this as we close. When we're in the midst of our fears and our insecurities, what we have a tendency to do is to deceive. We need to be people of truth. When we're in the midst of our fears and uh, desperation, we have a tendency to act kind of deranged at times. We need clear thinking. 
When we're in the midst of our, our struggles and our trials, we have a tendency to run away and hide. You can't. You need to run back to the tabernacle. Come here. Come home to the church. Come to the community of believers so that you can be loved on and talked to and encouraged and discipled and brought away and brought through this. Don't run away. When we're in the midst of our struggles, we need to hear the counsel of God. David said to this priest who made it out alive, verse 23, stay with me, do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. (laughs) With me you shall be in safekeeping. It got me thinking about the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. David's son... You know, David is a type of Christ. He was called by divine order. He was called to be a shepherd, to nourish. He was called to be a commander, to guide. He was about 30 years old when he took leadership, so was Jesus. He was rejected by his brothers, so was Jesus. He spent time in the wilderness, so did Jesus. He was betrayed, so was Jesus. He suffered before he received glory. So did Jesus. Why did Jesus suffer for us? Well, remember the words that God gave David? He gave him a tabernacle. The tabernacle was that God is with us. But because of our sin, God can't be with us unless that barrier is removed. It was removed in the person of Christ. Remember the showbread? the bread of the presence, we would not be able to have access to the throne room of God if it weren't for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the sword? It was the victory, right? Our ultimate victory over sin, Satan, and death was accomplished by only one person, one mediator between God and man, God, the man, Christ Jesus. You remember the destiny? God has called you, you remember, to a destiny. You remember the cave? Your only refuge is found in the person and work of Christ. This morning I ask you, have you ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? David, through the midst of all of these fears and all these troubles, he needed to know that God was with him. God says in his word so many times, I I, I believe there's 365 times in God's word that God says, fear not. One for every day of the week. Pretty cool. In Isaiah 41.10, he says, fear not, I am what? With you. Don't look anxiously around. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How about Paul to Timothy? He said this, for God has not given you a spirit of what? Fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Or how about the last word Peter gave? In his book, First Peter, cast all your fears upon him because what? He cares for you. So this morning, if you're struggling, if you're running in desperation, I want you to know that God is with you. If you trust in Christ, God cares for you. And if you're not in Christ, I urge you this morning that today would be the day of salvation because we are separated from God and we're only brought near by one person. Trust in him today. So, Father, we thank you for the kindness and the grace that you give us in your son. Thank you for the beautiful words of comfort. 
Father was thinking of Horatio Spofford as he was, he lost everything. He lost, he lost his business. He lost a child. Then he lost four daughters at sea. And he was able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Lord, I pray that uh, we could be like David. Because when we get a chance to read some of the Psalms that you put upon his heart as he was going through these times, he says, I know this, that God is for me. Who can be against me? He said in the Psalms as he was going through this time, what shall I fear? God is there. In God whose word I trust, in God whose word I praise, what can humanity do to me? I pray that those would be words of comfort to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.